We've been talking about pressures facing families. By looking at different families in Genesis, we started on Mother's Day talking about the pressure of motherhood, and we looked at Sarah. And then we talked about the pressure of loving too much, how Abraham was tested by God to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And then we talked about the pressure of imparting values to our children. Last week, we talked about the pressure of releasing the past and how Joseph forgave his brothers. Today, we're going to conclude the series talking about the pressure of fatherhood. Tonight, we're going to have a small group Bible studies, and so if your group is not meeting, there's a group in the chapel, you're welcome to join them. Open your Bibles to Genesis 48. That's going to be our main text for today. We're going to look at several chapters, but that's going to be our main text, and our outline is on the back of the bulletin if you'd like to take notes. There's a Father's Day card that reads, Dad, everything I learned, I learned from you except one thing. The family car really will go 110 miles an hour. It is stressful being a father's today. So many dads have a job that requires much more than 40 hours a week. And then if you add on top of that commute time, it's even more demanding, that many more hours away from family. And so we feel guilty with that. We feel guilty with the time pressure. We don't feel like we have enough time with our children. And the dads are kind of uh, unsure of all that's expected of them in our day and time. The breakdown of morality is just everywhere. You know, there was a day when neighbors would help keep each other's children in line. Little Bobby, don't do that. You know your mom and dad wouldn't approve. And little uh, little Bobby's mom and dad would hear what he did. But today, little Bobby sees all kinds of things. And neighbors aren't necessarily there to help correct them. How can a father bring up his children and share his Christian values in that kind of world? You know, sometimes at church, we don't help much when we beat up on fathers on Father's Day. Have you noticed that? I've been guilty of that. Uh, Guilty as charged. One little boy was coming out of worship and he said this, wow, that was a good sermon. My father slumped way down today. Well, I don't want anybody to slump way down today. On Mother's Day, we talked about Sarah and how uh, dads and uh, children can help. I want to do the same thing today. I want us to talk about fathers and talk about how moms and children can help as well. Not to beat up on fathers, but to help them. And I want to look at a familiar father. His name is Jacob. Last week we were talking about Joseph, kind of into the Genesis. We're going to go back a little bit and talk about Joseph, uh, Jacob today. As you study the Bible, what you realize is Solomon was right when he said there's nothing new under the sun. And so as we look at Jacob's life, what I want us to do is see what he was going through and see how that relates to families today, to fathers today. So here's the first pressure. The first one is this. There was a pressure of Jacob's imperfection. Notice this Genesis 25, 29 through 30. Jacob did not have a good reputation as a young man. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, you know the story. Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Well, Jacob knew Esau and he took advantage of the situation. I'll trade you for your birthright. You remember the story. Esau should not have been so flippant about something so important. But Jacob should not have made the most of that opportunity for his own good as well. He took advantage of him. How could he do that? 
And if you recall, later in life, when their father Isaac was old, Jacob cheated his brother again his, with his mother's help, dressed up like his brother. It was that custom of the day to give to the oldest uh, a double portion of the inheritance. So again, he schemed, he tricked even his own father. Esau learned about it. He was cheated out of his own inheritance. He vowed that after his father died, knowing it would just be a little while, he would kill his brother. Jacob had to run for his life. And his reputation as a cheat, as a schemer, Jacob, that's what the name means. It continued on for years. You know, that's the kind of reputation that we don't want to have as a father, but we especially don't want our children to know about, to learn about. I heard about a creative son who brought home his report card to show his father. And so he said, Dad, here's my report card. I need you to sign it so I can give it back to my teacher and show that you saw it. And here's one of yours that I found in the attic as well. <laughs> the dad said, I'm going to give you exactly what my father gave me. <laughs> Maybe when you first discovered some things about your dad, you were devastated. Jacob's reputation was far from perfect, and his sons knew it. What about your dad? What was it for you when you were kind of coming of age and you were seeing that he wasn't so perfect as you first thought? Maybe it was his prejudice. Maybe he was greedy. Maybe you experienced his temper maybe his anger, maybe even something like a, a heavy drinker or even a womanizer. And that moment you saw your dad's imperfection, it stung. It was such a wake-up call for you. Now, we don't condone those things, but at the same time, we need to be realistic with our own fathers. So that's the point I want to make here. Be realistic because there are no perfect fathers. To read through the book of Genesis, that's what you see. There are no perfect people, and God lets us see that. Romans 3.23 says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we all need to have a realistic view of our own dads. But here's another one. We need to be forgiving. We talked about this last week with Joseph. Colossians 3.13, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So even as the child, you need to extend some grace. But then number three, be discerning. Remember, too, that you've got faults. You're not perfect. I think Ezekiel 18, verse 20 is, is a scripture we need to know. The son shall not suffer the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer the iniquity of the son. The, righteous of the, righteous, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So God's not going to hold you responsible for what your dad did. What matters most is not the home you came from, but the home you're in now. Maybe you, because of some of the things you experienced with your dad, when you see the t-shirt or the mug or the card that says world's best dad, you struggle with that. Can't give that to my father because you know of his imperfections. Maybe your dad was not good with money. Maybe your dad didn't keep his vow to your mom. Maybe your dad doesn't walk with God. You've heard the phrase like father, like son. Well, you don't have to be like your father in those imperfect ways. 
I think of the man who intentionally decided not to be like his dad in a couple of ways. He grew up never seeing his dad being affectionate with his mom. Never hearing his dad say to his mom or to any of the children, I love you. But when he got married and started having a family, he vowed to not repeat that. So he was affectionate to his wife. And he would tell his wife and his children that he loved them and he was proud of them. Though his dad was a good man, he decided not to be like father, like son. So learn from your mistakes and don't fall into that trap. You love him in spite of his inadequacies. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 11 from the New American Standard. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Jacob started out as a cheat, as a schemer, but he didn't remain that way. As you read through the book of Genesis, you realize how he matured, how he grew in his faith in the Lord. God changed his name to Israel, and he became the father of a great nation. Which brings me to the point number two. Another pressure that Jacob faced, that we face, is providing for his family. Now, God took care of Jacob, blessed him immensely. Look at Genesis 30, verse 43. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So Jacob was affluent, but he was also generous. He was generous with God. Genesis 28, 22 says he promised to give God a tenth of everything. Jacob, as a father, was generous to his own children. Last week, we studied how when the famine hit, Everybody became desperate. Nobody could survive without going to Egypt and buying grain. So Jacob's family was quite large. He had all these sons and now uh, daughters-in-law and grandchildren, depending on how you, you, you read the text, of 70 people in his family and as a father, as the leader. Times like that, you feel the pressure. How are we going to survive? How are we going to make it? So when the famine hit, he sent money with his sons to buy grain to keep his family alive. Providing for your family is a major pressure on fathers today. Dads want to create a sense of security in the home. Young people, you think you have pressures at school? I will tell you, it does not compare to the weight on your dad's shoulders of providing for the family. And he doesn't get summers off. There's no holidays. Their jobs are on the line. Their income is on the line. The family's stability is on the line. They face that daily pressure to make ends meet. And because of that, it hurts our pride when we cannot give to our family what they need and sometimes even what they want. Now, sometimes your dad will say no to you for your own good, for, you know, just you need to be told no. But that's why dads sometimes get testy and defensive. You know what I'm talking about when you bring up money matters, because they want to be able to provide for you and even to give you what you want. And it's hard for them to see what your friends get, that he's not able to provide. So one of the best things you can do to relieve that stress is just be understanding. Be understanding. Show, show that by being frugal with money. Make good choices. Be supportive. And even, even if your dad is well off financially, you tell him thanks. You show your appreciation because every dad 
wants to be the hero to his child, to his family. Show your gratitude. If your father is like so many that's just struggling to stay afloat, to make ends meet, you learn to be content. You learn to be thankful. I read about one father who created an entertainment fund for the family. And so if there was something happening, a a movie or something that that they needed money for, they would take it out of the entertainment fund. And when the money was gone, the money was gone. Part of it was an exercise to teach the children growing up some discipline, that you can't do it all and you have to make choices. The husband and wife were talking and say, well, is it time to kind of increase that entertainment fund? Things are getting more expensive. And they decided, well, no, because it's teaching those children to prioritize and make decisions. At the end of the year, their two children had taken a dollar here and a dollar there out of that entertainment fund they were given. Being frugal, saved enough money to take mom and dad out to say thank you. Good lesson learned. Number two, show appreciation. Children don't always be begging for more. Mom, don't be spend more than the money allows. Uh, Don't be complaining, moms, about what your kids don't have or always comparing yourselves to other families because what we all know is not the material things, possessions that bond families together. It's the everyday life, routine things, and even being creative. See, his dad is a preacher. She tells me when they were very young, four children, stay-at-home mom, They were often struggling to make ends meet. Grandparents would step in and buy them shoes twice a year. What a help that was. But her mom would get very creative on limited money. She would make cheese toast and make them feel like they were just having a special treat. She said one time, and this is the days before being a vegetarian or vegan was so in, one time they had tacos with no meat because they couldn't afford it. And she convinced them it was a treat. It wasn't until they were adults and looked back and realized they didn't have a dime. But her mother was so creative and never griped or complained. I wouldn't see you do that with our children. See, everybody goes through hard times. Everybody has struggles. But there's something wonderful about when you can be grateful. You know those big, big trips that you save up for, maybe go to a theme park? Those are great. But what children remember are those spontaneous moments, you know, where you uh, roast marshmallows on a fire that you set accidentally. Or the power goes out and you all have to camp in the den and you eat stuff out of the pantry that you're not even sure what you're eating because it's dark. Those are their memories. That's what bonds families together. So don't always be demanding more. And then number four, most importantly, encourage your dad in his occupation. Even as a child, you can do that. You've heard me mention Willard Harley Jr.'s book, His Needs, Her Needs. He talks about how the need for encouragement, that ego boost for most men is in the top five personal needs. Just to hear, you're doing a good job. This this is kind of the way we're wired. Most men want their wives to say, I am really proud of you. Thanks for working so hard. You take such good care of us. But young people, you can help too. Be supportive of your dad and his work on occasion. And mom, if you want your kids to be supportive, 
They need to see how it's done and watch you do that. Because when they hear you complain, sure wish they paid you more. I'm not sure how much longer will last. Oh, honey, don't take that call. You know they're going to call you in. You have to work overtime again. Don't they know you've got a family? Your kids hear that. Or you can choose to show them to be positive, even in a negative situation, by what you say. Dad's late getting home. Kids, you know your dad works really hard to take good care of us. Your father loves us well by working so hard. Isn't it great that your dad is so good that people call on him and he has to go in and help? If they see that modeled in you, if they hear you express support and encouragement, they're going to learn how to do it. So mom, kids, brag on your dad. Let them know he's special. That means so much more than a Father's Day card with your name signed at the bottom. But number three, Jacob also faced the pressure of rearing children. And you might even put out in parentheses, without their mother. I don't know that we really think about this when we think about uh, Jacob, but in chapter 25, Jacob's wife, Rachel, died while giving birth to uh, their second son, Benjamin. Most of us can only imagine that sorrow. How can you rejoice at the life of this new baby when the love of your life just died? At the same time, how can you even grieve when you've got two children without their mother? They need attention. Now, granted, he had Leah and, and, and uh, uh, the other two servants uh, that, that helped. That, they also had children, Bob. But again, Rachel was dead. Their mother was dead. Jacob had to rear these two children without a mother. There are several men today who are single fathers. And it may not be by the death of your spouse. It may be by divorce. That's more common for us. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, I looked it up, 69% of children live with two parents. 69% of children live with two parents. Now, that's higher than I thought. I'm not sure how that hits you. But here's the bad news. That number keeps going down. Older TV shows had titles like Father Knows Best. Remember? Heard of that one? Or what about Andy Griffith? Do you ever think about him being a single father? We love Andy Griffith. But today's sitcoms make fathers out to be a, a baboon. He's the idiot. He's the joke. Everybody's laughing at him. That's the message given to young people today. And you add to that, single dads are so often, almost by default, betrayed as deadbeat dads or absentee fathers. So the deck is stacked against them. How can they succeed? How can they do well? There's pressure there. The U.S. Census Bureau also reported that 19 out of 100 custodial parents are hardworking, just as committed dads. And what about those Christian fathers who do not want to be separated from their children at all. I think as a church, we need to be supportive of those fathers who are trying to do the right thing, who want to bring their children up to follow Jesus, because it is tough financially to try to, to take care of two households. It's tough spiritually when you're trying to impart your values when you only see them part-time. And for the divorced mothers, as hard as it is, please don't deliberately make it harder on your children's dad. 
And if you're the child in a split home, make life as pleasant as possible for your dad. Don't manipulate him or exploit his guilt or make him feel like he's got to spend more money on you just to make up for it. See, Jacob grieved over the death of Rachel, and he made a horrible mistake of showing preferential treatment to Joseph. We talked about this last week. You remember the story of Joseph? His older sons grew to hate Joseph. It's almost as if they totally forgot about their brothers, I mean, their father's grief. He just lost his wife, but their hate was just was too much. So you remember the story. They plotted to kill Joseph. They sold him into slavery. Then they came back and showed the bloodied coat, kind of implying that he was dead. The Bible says Joseph was so distraught, he refused to be comforted. Now think about this. Those older sons allowed their father to be in that misery for the next 20 years. They knew the truth. Nobody spoke up. No one had compassion. Don't be like that. If you're the child of divorce, you have plenty of opportunities to make it worse. But if you're following Jesus, you can do better. Choose the high road. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats the matter separates close friends. But maybe the greatest pressure for Jacob was number four, to be a positive influence in his home. To be a positive influence in his home. Even though he was far from perfect, as you read through these chapters in Genesis, you notice how he grew in the Lord and he made an effort, a very obvious effort to be a spiritual example to his family. When he sent his sons to buy grains, notice what he said to them in Genesis 43, 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy. And he was deliberate to to show to his children his priority of worshiping God. When the whole family was making that move to Egypt to live, to actually just to survive, on the way to worship, he stopped and worshiped on the way to Egypt. Genesis 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God gave him a neat message. Just what? this father needed to hear. Let's keep reading verse two. God spoke to Israel in the visions that night and said, Jacob, Jacob. He said, here I am. And then he said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there. I'll make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I will bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. That's just what he needed to hear. And later in that chapter, there's a very touching scene where This father and son see each other for the first time after 20 years. Look at Genesis 46, 29. Then Joseph prepared his chariot, went up to meet Israel and his father Goshen. He could not wait for him to get there. He met him partway. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. One translation says, wept profusely. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face and know that you are still alive. He was so overcome with thanksgiving to God. He said, God, just take me now. He lived to see a son. I want you to look at the main text. If you've got your Bibles open, it'll also be on the screen. The whole family in Genesis 48 are now in Egypt. Verse 1, after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. 
So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now notice, after being separated for 20 years, getting married, having two sons, now his dad is back in the picture. When he gets word about his dad about to die, he grabs his sons because he wants them in on this. Verse 2, it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and make you a company of peoples and give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And then skip to verse eight. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, the eyes of Israel were, grew, were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, now God has let me see your offspring also. We can't read the whole chapter, but as it continues there, Jacob lays hands on Manasseh and Ephraim gives them a blessing. He gives Joseph a blessing. You keep reading the next chapter, every one of his sons, Jacob gives a blessing. Now, he's very realistic about them. He's also prophetic in what he says. Remember earlier I said to all of us to overlook your father's imperfections? A good reason to do that is just what we see here, because you have them too. Your dad knows your imperfection. Jacob knows about the shortcomings of his sons, but he blesses them. It's the same in his family. And with all their mistakes, with all their blunders, they become the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. Even Judah, who lacked courage, who lacked character, who did some major blunders even as an adult, was selected to be the one through whom Jesus would come? How do you live up to that kind of pressure? Jacob blesses his children. I guarantee you every father in this room feels the pressure to be a spiritual influence on their children. And that, that struggle, that pressure is hard today because more and more we feel alone and we feel inept. We start to know, how do we bless our children? What, what do we say to them? Let me recommend a book to you. Gary Smalley and John Trent wrote a book called The Blessing. It's so good and it's so popular. It's been revised and updated a number of times. This is uh, uh, the latest, uh, 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 what it looks like if you're Googling. I encourage you. What they do is they encourage today's father to kind of follow Jacob's example and really what you see in the Bible about giving a blessing to your children, more so than just making sure they get to worship or praying with your children or being a good example that you as the father... You do something. You say something to bless them. And they give five ways. And very quickly, I want to share these with you. Again, I encourage you to buy the book or give the book to the Father in your life. It'll be a blessing to them. But the first is meaningful touch. Jacob embraced, kissed, and laid hands on his sons and his grandsons. That physical touch is important. 
Even today, giving a hug, a touch, an elbow bump, a kiss on the forehead, wrestling even, that physical touch communicates a blessing. Number two is spoken words, that verbal affirmation. Children long to hear their dad say, I love you. I'm proud of you. Even as an adult, we love to hear our father say that. You did well. I'm here for you. Number three, expressing high value. To bless means to honor. Help them to understand that they are your world. They mean that much to you. Isaac knew how much Abraham adored him. We studied that. You know the story. But he also knew they loved God more. But we express high value when we sacrifice time for them, even career opportunities that might not be best for the family. Number four, picture a special future. You look for ways to speak life into your children. Jacob knew the imperfections of his son. He knew them very well, but he loved them anyway and still was able to bless them and say good things about them. And we can do the same even in those formative years. You really care about people. You could be a good nurse or a doctor one day. Or I see in you, you're so insightful. God can really use that talent to bless people. That just makes me smile. Or number five, an act of commitment. It's not enough just to say the words. You've heard it before. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. It's not just they want to hear you talk about it. They want to see it. They want to experience it. So you spend your time, your money, your effort to communicate worth and support. But here's the truth. Most men, or at least many men, I think it's most men, have a hard time with this. Especially the verbal part of being able to say what we really feel, what's really down deep. So moms, you can help, especially if you know this about your husband, their dad, how deeply he feels, how much he gives, and how he's not able to say the words. So you can maybe say what he says to you in private. You tell your children. You know what your dad said about you? That you're the smartest girl in the class. He loves you so. You should have seen your dad, the look on your dad's face last night when, when you were on that platform or when you made the play. He was so proud, buttons almost popped off his shirt. Or mom, even that spiritual moment, you know, dads, we jump into fix-it mode when there's a problem. But mom, if you see a spiritual moment, you say, hey, let's pray about this. Everybody grab a hand. Dad, you lead us. And allow dad to be a blessing to the family. But dad, sometimes we need to swallow our pride and step up and do what needs to be done or say what needs to be said and not let our fear of, of bumbling our words or, or maybe getting choked up or shedding a tear keep us from doing what our children need from us. And even if your words aren't just right, don't worry, because your son, your daughter, they're going to hear your heart and know exactly what you mean. To the children in the room, whether you're seven 
or 17 or 27, and you could really keep going. And you see your dad on occasion do something right, tell him. Call him out on that. Say a kind word to him. I guarantee you he will act like it's nothing. But he will remember that for the rest of his life. And as much as you want to know that he is proud of you, he wants you to know that he would give his life for you. You have no idea how much pressure is on your dad. You have no idea how much he loves you, even though he may not express it well. Here's another book I recommend. Patrick Morley wrote a book years ago, and again, it's been updated several times. It's called Man in the Mirror. He tells a heart-wrenching story about an ill-fated Alaska fishing trip. A group of fishermen had landed in a secluded bay in Alaska, had a great day of fishing, but when they returned to their seaplane, they were surprised the tide had already gone out, so it was on the ground. They had no choice but just spend the night, and when the tide came in the next morning, to take off. So the next morning, they were able to take off, but they came right back down because they didn't know it, but when it was sitting on the land, one of the pontoons had punctured. And when the tide came in, it filled with water. So they went right back down into the icy water. And the plane started to sink quickly. There were three men and a 12-year-old son, Mark, of one of the men. They prayed, and they all jumped in the water to swim to shore. But it was not just icy water. What they didn't know is when they jumped in, there was also a strong rip current working against them. Two of the men reached shore. They were strong swimmers, but they were exhausted. It became an every man for himself kind of moment because that rip tide was so strong. And so when they looked around to see who it was just the two of them, and they looked and they saw their other friend, who was also a very strong swimmer. But his son, who was 12, was not. And when the dad realized that he could leave his son and swim to shore and save himself, he chose instead to stay with his son. They watched, those two men watched as that father, with his arm around his son, was swept out to sea. That dad chose to die with his son rather than live without him. There's a fact that most children do not know. Your father loves you so much, he would die for you. I guarantee you if I were to say, fathers, if that's you, stand, everyone here would leap to your feet. No hesitation. You want to know where that comes from? That is the love of God in you. When you love someone so much that you're willing to die for them. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 
Jesus would rather die for you than live in eternity without you. That's the gospel. And that's the love we have in families. That's where we learn it from. God would love nothing more, dads, than for you to be that spiritual influence in your home. If you've not yet given your life to Jesus, today's the day. Or if we can pray for you as a father to be the man that you need to be to help point your family to Jesus, we would encourage you with that. If we can pray for you, you can come forward as we sing this song. If you're ready to be baptized, whatever your need is, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage? For the, this 